This is Cyber Defense Radio with your host and cybersecurity expert, Gary Malefsky. Gary brings to you another globally recognized cybersecurity executive in the hot seat today. Sitting in my hot seat today is Kaustub Mendy. He's the head of research and intelligence at one of my favorite companies in cybersecurity, Cybel, C-Y-B-L-E. And they are a remote friendly company. They've got offices and locations around the world. You might remember my prior interview with their CEO about their website, amibreached.com, which consumers, businesses, everybody should take a look at that and see if you're on the deep dark web. And Kaustub focuses as the head of research on threat intelligence for enterprises. So that's really what we're going to dive into today. And I've got a lot of questions. We could talk about AI and actionable threat intelligence and what's going on in the space. Kaustub, welcome to the hot seat today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Gary. Yeah. So tell me in, in your research, what are some of the top findings? Like, what are you seeing lately? Is ransomware still the biggest attack vector? Uh, are you seeing things, uh, you know, that affect people in certain industries? Is it financial? Who's getting hit the most? And, and what are you seeing on your threat research? Yeah, so uh, ransomware, I think, is now a well-established, uh, you know, threat attack pattern that we've seen emerge over the years. Specifically at Cybel, we've been tracking ransomware very closely for the last couple of years. In fact, uh, we come out with a quarterly ransomware analysis report, uh, which covers you know, the global attacks uh, that we've seen uh, being conducted by some of these ransomware as a service groups. And um, yeah, I mean, over the years, we've, we've seen uh, you know, uh, different kinds of threat patterns evolve, ransomware operators, disbanding, forming new uh, ransomware uh, platforms, targeting uh, victims uh, in various industries using different strains of uh, malware. And really um, ransomware uh, groups typically go after the money, right? So uh, wherever the industry has a lot of financial uh, uh, aspects involved, or if there's a lot of data, consumer data, that's where uh, you know ransomware groups uh, really have been focusing on. and. Um, I think uh, there's been a slight change in the kind of way ransomware actors are now operating. We've seen them go after uh, some of these large critical infrastructure industries, uh, right, which are uh, really a critical uh, cog in the wheel for the economy, oil and gas companies, power utility companies, and stuff like that. And then uh, we've seen some legislation catching up with them as well. So the US government is now planning to go after ransomware operators proactively and uh, looking at offensive security as a deterrent uh, to ransomware. So that's really a, a new development that we are seeing in this, uh, in this space. And so uh, we feel that um, you know, over a few months or years, we would see ransomware operators try and shy away from these uh, critical infrastructure companies just to keep the feds out of their hair and focus uh, their attention on some of the other vulnerable sectors like manufacturing, retail, healthcare, education, uh, that's the trend we are seeing. And uh, the another trend that we are also seeing is uh, ransomware groups may choose to do data exfiltration, theft, and extortion rather than encrypting the victims, uh, you know? Um, so because there's a lot of global privacy mandates emerging across the world. So uh, data privacy is a very big thing. Uh, many governments have brought, brought in re uh, regulations around data privacy, uh, the fines and penalties are increasing. So we've seen a trend where ransomware groups uh, and uh, the, you know, the threat actors are now turning their attention into other geographies like Indonesia, Australia, for example, where we've seen 
uh, you know, a lot of uh, large data breaches, um, and there's a huge risk of uh, uh, class action suits, right, running into millions and billions of dollars there. So that's really one of the key trends that we see uh, emerging in the ransomware side of things. Kastu, with your uh, skills and knowledge and your team's efforts and, you know, leveraging AI and machine learning, I'm just curious, and there's been a lot of uh, excitement about chat GPT, the whole world's waking up to AI's uh, multiple, multiple uses. There's so many uses for AI. Uh, I can see uh, an interesting future for us where AI becomes more of a, hopefully a very useful tool as you guys have used in cybersecurity. Do you think the cyber criminals are uh, taking advantage of AI equally as well? And, and how would they be using it? No, absolutely. I mean, uh, chat GPT, open AI, the new kid on the block, everyone gushing over it for the past few months. And um, obviously, I mean, um, uh, from a cyber threat intel perspective, uh, we definitely see, um, you know, the benefits uh, accruing from there to the cyber security research community. But uh, also, there is no doubt that it is a dual use technology, where uh, we've already seen a lot of um, effort uh, from the threat actors trying to create advanced uh, malware, which can actually evade some of these security solutions like antiviruses and EDR solutions. So that's uh, definitely, uh, you know, uh, a warning sign for us there. It's it's definitely um, a concern area as well. And um, if I had to be uh, very, very specific, I would say to an extent, chat GPT may well turn out to be a solution for democratizing malware development because you've seen the kind of complex code that chat gpt is able to write today right so um, there is no doubt that threat actors are going to abuse chat gpt to create malware uh, you know stealer malware ransomware even uh, you know using the ai capabilities and um, there are also uh, reported cases of chat GPT being used to create very, very convincing phishing email templates as well, which can evade email filtering solutions. And um, uh, while it's early days, uh, I'm sure we are going to see a lot of chat GPT related cybersecurity uh, use cases and threats emerging in the near future. So that's an area to look out for. Long time ago, there was a Star Trek episode where uh, you know Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock land on some planet and they got so advanced with AI, they decided to not have real wars anymore. They let their AI solutions fight each other. Uh, but then they'd say, okay, we had casualties. So this number of citizens have, has to go in the casualty box. But it was, you know, it was in the late 60s, they had this idea. And today here we are with, with AI actually being realized not too long later uh, in the timeline. And uh, it actually sounds like it can be weaponized, uh, even yes. though it's meant to be friendly, right? Chat GPT, ask it a question. I've seen some of the source code output, and it's very good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's that's really uh, you know, uh, in a way, it does reduce a lot of dependence on high skilled labor, and uh, you know, uh, churning out large chunks of code in a very short span of time. But on the other hand. Uh, uh, it is going to be used or weaponized by the cyber criminals to uh, sort of, you know, enhance and up their game. So, yeah, I mean, as you said, uh, we are already here. The era of AI is already here and we need to be prepared to counter some of these things. Uh, but to be on the, uh, you know, on the positive side of things, I am also convinced that uh, some of these AI-based tools are going to be used even for building security solutions, right, to counter some of these things. So, 
it's going to be an interesting battle. Definitely. And and the, the, the battle is, you know, there's a silent cyber war going on and we don't have a Geneva Convention about it. Do you think nation states should come together and agree on their behavior about this or they're just going to, because it's hard to do attribution anymore, isn't it? I mean, we don't know if it really came from Russia or China or whoever. No, uh, absolutely, Gary. So uh, we've seen, uh, you know, threat actors reusing a lot of techniques, malware, tools. So, uh, you know, attribution of threat actors to a particular nation state or a cyber criminal is no longer that easy. And uh, you're never really sure, you know, whom you're up against. So uh, we've seen instances where threat actors routinely, uh, you know, use multiple techniques and tools. Uh, infrastructure is changing. So, uh, you know, uh, they typically rely on obfuscating their footprint. And so uh, to an extent, threat attribution becomes very difficult. Um, having said that, cyberspace uh, regulation really, I think, is a difficult thing to do because where do you draw the boundary really? And every state, every nation has its own uh, political uh, and economic interest to look after. So, um, uh, I mean, there are, uh, there is obviously a lot of uh, focus and collaboration, cooperation that is happening. We've seen, especially for threats like ransomware, we've seen multi-country, multilateral uh, cooperation emerging where countries have come together and said, uh, decided to, you know, combat these menace. I mean, I think it's still early days, um, uh, but that's an interesting space to watch. Yeah. Let's let's dive a little deeper into what you do and what your team does. And and is it a product? Is it a service? It is is it a SaaS offering? How does it get deployed? Who's leveraging you? And what are the kinds of results you're seeing? Yeah, so um, I think the the basic philosophy that uh, we follow here at Cybel is uh, you know we look at three pillars of the threat intel problem that industry faces today and that is visibility it is actionable intelligence and the third is remediation and incident response so we see these three as the you know the core pillars of providing valuable intelligence to uh, customers despite having a lot of investments in cybersecurity and we've seen fortune 500 companies getting breached right and they had no limitations of budget skills talent and management commitment and so, you know, the, the real problem is that uh, cybersecurity teams are really struggling to answer some of the fundamental questions like, you know, are we a target? Who is attacking us? What do our adversary know about us? Uh, what type of assets do we have exposed, right? Uh, do we know how many of our users are getting compromised? You know, which are the threats that we should be aware of, right? And are we secure? So that's the fundamental question that security teams get asked. And unfortunately, um, many of the uh, cybersecurity teams, they really struggle to come up with a confident answer. And at Cybel, we are trying to address this problem, uh, you know, by helping our customers first and foremost get visibility of their entire attack surface, by bringing them intelligence, uh, you know, that is very, very specific to their industry and to their uh, organization. And then kind of building a model where they can not only consume threat intel, but you know, also be able to apply it in their environment. So we just don't provide them the intel, but we also provide them with guidance around uh, how they should be implementing some of the policies and the filtering rules and uh, how they should be incorporating some of these into the security awareness for their uh, customers and their employees to kind of make it actionable, right? So that's, that's really the focus 
of uh, cyber. So our entire platform, uh, we basically collect intelligence from thousands of sources. And we have a machine learning and AI based layer to basically separate the shaft from the wheat and, you know, drill out those specific insights, you know, which can be immediately actionable for our customers. So, and I'm sure you'll agree that today in the era of so many security solutions, theme solutions, XDR solutions, I mean, each of the products churning out millions of events per day, it's ultimately is just leading to analyst burnout and fatigue. And we're trying to address this problem uh, by using machine learning and AI, where we can use risk scoring based algorithms for every event, and then bubbling up only those specific critical incidents which require their attention. And we, we in fact go one step forward and we also provide remediation and incident response steps for each of these events. So we're trying to solve the problem holistically and not just be a threat aggregator and a threat intel feed for the customer. That's really what separates us from the rest. Are you offering this kind of like an MDR or MSSP provider or uh, an augmenting uh, their staff with your own threat intel team? Yeah, so I mean, all of those things, Gary. So uh, uh, our platform is a you know, born in the cloud platform. Uh, it natively supports uh, the MSSP model. So we have uh, today a lot of MSSPs uh, who can actually use our platform and deliver Threat Intel services directly to their customers without our intervention. So that's really a space uh, that we are very strong in. Uh, apart from that, we do have a very, very skilled uh, and niche set of threat researchers, incident responders, forensic investigators who are available to assist our customers. Uh, when they face a critical cybersecurity incident. Because these uh, researchers are very, very experienced. They literally work behind enemy lines you know, when they go on the dark web and you know uh, identify a lot of threat actor chatter, uh, being a part of the privileged groups and gleaning out intelligence from these sources. And uh, we have also effectively assisted a lot of customers in managing ransomware incidents as well. So we do offer managed threat intel as a service to some of the large clients, uh, you know, uh, who want to augment some of their SOC security teams with our expertise. Kostub, what what's the difference between the deep web, the dark web, and the surface web? I assume surface web, everybody can access it. And, you know, the dark web, I'm using Tor, uh, and it's hidden, and it's encrypted. Can you give your view of those three areas of, of the internet and, and how you help keep an eye on, on that, as you said, behind enemy lines? Yeah, right. So um, as you said, the surface web is basically, you know, all those websites uh, which are easily accessible through your standard browsers, whereas the dark web is basically that part of the internet, which is typically, you know, shielded from the public view and is only accessible through the Tor browser. It's basically, you can call it as an unregulated part of the internet where Anonymity is the main benefit, so anonymity and privacy. And then you have the deep web, uh, which is basically uh, sites which you can access, uh, you know, either through the dark web or the uh, on the surface web, but they are behind, uh, you know, uh, a login account. So which means you need to be a part explicitly of that site to be able to go and access, uh, you know, some of these uh, sites. They are not publicly accessible through a browser. You need to maybe create an account be a part of the group and then access that information. So a lot of these peer-to-peer -peer networks, uh, you know, peer-to-peer -peer chat groups, messenger groups, invite-only groups or sites, forums, these are some of the uh, deep web uh, sections of the internet, as we call it.
Why do you think governments are so upset at uh, TikTok? Is it because all that data is flowing back to the Chinese government and they're geolocating phones and eavesdropping on microphones and collecting all the data they can from, you know, all the connectivity that phones have? What are your thoughts on, on that? Most of these uh, tools today, uh, you know, their whole business model is uh, built upon the premise that they are going to have access to a lot of personal data, which they can analyze and then uh, use it for personalization, profiling, behavioral based advertising. And um, uh, the problem with these apps is you really never know when this information is going to be misused or accessed by other agencies by exerting political pressure and uh, probably used as a tool for surveillance. And there are some serious privacy concerns uh, with regards to the usage of some of these tools. And uh, you know, as a result, uh, many of the countries have recently decided to ban uh, some of these apps. It's really frightening the, uh, the level of complexity and advancement that some of these algorithms, uh, you know, which have been used to do some of the profiling and behavioral targeting of the users and the kind of data uh, data points that they are able to gather uh, you know about the users including their location their uh, uh, you know what kind of places they visit how long do they spend in what location so essentially you are creating a digital twin uh, of a user uh, if you are able to gather all this data and then you know the information is definitely very sensitive and could be misused if it falls into the wrong hands and that's where, I mean, uh, these are some uh, really, really legitimate concerns that some of these, uh, you know, agencies have uh, towards these apps. I've also heard recently, I think it was in our, on our news page, that I think Twitter's API was hacked. And, you know, some of these main platforms for social media, they are, they're, they're surface web, but, you know, they're social media, but uh, they're so popular uh, that I think social media is coming in second to email for just use of the internet uh, over just web browsing anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, the social media has now become the next, uh, you know, Times Square, so to say. And everyone wants to have their say on it. And uh, obviously, just like other tools, there are uh, mechanisms where you can use that data uh, of the users for profiling. There is, in fact, a lot of threat intelligence that can be gathered through social media. I mean, there are a lot of white hat researchers who are sharing a lot of, uh, you know, their findings and, uh, you know, talking about critical vulnerabilities, threat actor campaigns and stuff like that. A fantastic source for open source intelligence. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I mean, because of the nature of the data that they handle, they are definitely a target of, you know, uh, uh, the threat actors. So we've seen uh, recently the social media being abused for a lot of misinformation, disinformation campaigns. A lot of threat actors actually abuse social media even for launching phishing campaigns, embedding malware and phishing links, uh, you know, doing brand impersonation of employees, uh, impersonating the brand of a company, uh, you know, and tweeting uh, some content which could be, uh, you know, which could actually impact uh, their reputation. So we've recently seen a few months back where one of the pharmaceutical companies you know, was impersonated and uh, something tweeted about the company making its product free or something and really caused a dip into the stock stock price. So, uh, you know, this is some of the things that we also manage through our platform where we do social media monitoring and we are able to identify all these suspicious activities and then inform our customers so that they can immediately take action. That's awesome. Kastub, is there anything else that you want to cover 
uh, that we haven't covered for our viewers and listeners? Broadly, I think we touched upon uh, you know the core aspects of how to make threat intel actionable for customers. And uh, that should really be the focus of the cybersecurity community. And that's what, uh, you know, Cybel is striving towards. We are, you know, enhancing our capabilities uh, with machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, where we are able to identify emerging threats even before they cause impact. And that's something, uh, you know, that we'll continue to uh, focus on in the coming future. That's wonderful. I really enjoyed this hot seat today. And I definitely want to recommend our viewers and listeners, you know, most of them, are uh, maxed out and they're getting too many alerts and they don't know how to handle it. If you're overwhelmed, as most of us are with, with uh, this, you need actionable threat intel. You need a partner like Cybel. Check out That's his website at cyble.com. You've been listening to Cyber Defense Radio. Stay tuned next time for another amazing and informative episode. CyberDefenseRadio.com is proudly part of the Cyber Defense Media Group, where InfoSec knowledge is power. Cyber Defense TV and Cyber Defense Radio have launched 24 by 7 by 365 live streams. Visit them online today at CyberDefense.tv and CyberDefense.radio. With your host and globally recognized cybersecurity expert and my good friend, Gary Malewski. <laughs>